Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about psychology and religion. And, you know, just as psychology studies pretty much everything a human could ever partake in, it also studies religion. And the science of psychology is an attempt to analyze every part of the human experience and behavior. The psychology of religion aims to uncover the impact of relationships in religion in order to predict behaviors. So it is meant to connect religious consciousness with religious patterns and behaviors. While a whole lot of psychologists have defined religion in their own ways throughout the years, it is safe to say that religion and spirituality are deeply ingrained in psychology. Now, I can tell you that because I practice as a Christian therapist. So for many religious people, their religion is their way of life. And so when someone follows a religion, it gives them meaning. And the world is big, and and there's a lot of question marks. And for many, religion calms those worries, and it gives us solid ground to stand on. So religion tends to outline a set way to live, and that includes uh, uh, morals to hold yourself accountable to, a way to treat others, uh, a belief in what comes next when we die, and more – And so religion usually also gives someone the organization to belong to, such as a church or a temple. And around the whole world, there's actually 12 classical religions. And these religions include Baha'i, Buddhism, Christianity, Confucianism, Hinduism, Islam, Jainism, Jainism, Shinto, Schism, uh, Taoism and Zoroastrian. And I'm reading these, by the way, because I don't say these words that often. But uh, uh, Zoroastrianism, and there are smaller, less prominent religions as well. But most people who are religious fall under one of those that I've, I've just listed. And so these spiritual traditions all vary in what they offer people, what they practice, what they study, what they find meaning and substance in. And so, so. All of these religions include people making the psychological commitment to something they care for and believe in. And so there's no concrete or, or, or cognitive thought process reason as to why humans have to believe in religion and spirituality. However, when we are younger, we seem to love to find things to believe in. And children's brains are so big and so ready to learn. And so if we really think about it, uh, there is a tie between adults viewing the world as an uh, intentional design created by something and children naturally believing that everything exists for a reason. And in a child's mind, if something exists or, or something acts a certain way, there's a purpose behind it. And in a child's mind, there is no other way. For example, why do trees exist? A child might say so that the squirrels have a place to live and play in. So <laughs> at least that would be my son. So humans naturally feel 
connected to people who uh, uh, feel similar to them. And when we click with someone, it's usually because of a similar thought patterns, morals, and lifestyles. So when it comes to religion, there, there's a whole spectrum of people that feel similar to you. And religion provides a space for individuals and families to find religious, spiritual, psychological, and sometimes even financial support. And regardless of the actual religion, there is likely always a local community of people that have the same religion to belong to. And this is one of the major connections between religion and psychology. It actually allows people to feel like they belong and are being cared for. And just as religion and spirituality can connect people, it can also put them apart. So while, while there's different levels of being religious and spiritual, someone's belief system is typically very personal and very treasured. And so when someone doesn't believe in something that it's very important to us, it can cause a lot of tension. And so this could be because of a disagreement, a judgment, I don't know, anything else that causes tension. So sometimes this ends in the parties going separate ways. In some, in some religions, believers are not allowed to have friendships or relationships with people who do not follow the same religion. And this would cause a huge divide as well. So when it comes to a religious household, there are many factors that could affect a child's development, both both in their psychology and socially. And for most spiritual practices, there's an outline. And, and basically, if you think about an outline, it, it basically details how to incorporate the religion into your life, how to spend your time, how to treat others, how to be a member of your religious community. Since religious are typically rooted in living a life of meaning, treating others with kindness, being there for your community, that's likely a healthy environment for a child to be raised in. So many studies have actually shown that there are both pros and cons of raising a child in a religious home. And, 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 and there are many positive sides to a religious family. However, this may not always be the case. Not all religious practices are pure and honest as they would be in the ideal world. Some morals and values are judgmental and very close-minded. And that, in fact, is what turns people away from religion. Some have gotten warped over time. Some have uh, confusing gray areas. And some have embraced doctrine that is man-made. And all of these factors could have a negative psychological and social impact on a kid as they grow up. And this could lead to the kid to struggle to make friends who are different than them and develop their own belief system or even to leave the religion if they didn't align with it anymore. I remember growing up with uh, Latter-day Saints uh, and and basically uh, what would happen is kids couldn't celebrate birthday parties. And that was always weird as a child. It was very awkward, uh, especially if you had a friend that was in something like that. But there are millions of people around the world who are more than happy in their own religion. And I should say billions, actually. And they like a clear, structured way on how to live. And they enjoy a set of moral code. They practice family and community rituals. They have friends who live similarly to them. And they feel an overall sense of belonging. For others, this just doesn't align with their lives. There are many reasons as to why someone would abandon religion. Some people do not like being told what to do. Some do not enjoy structure and rigidness. Some want to be agnostic, meaning they believe in God, but they don't believe in religion. And quite frankly, religion is not a 
belief it's a belief system and so it's a way of embracing a way towards god it doesn't mean it is the way we all have different interpretations of how to find god in our lives and some you know lots of people lose their faith they they lose their faith because they lose community maybe they change pastors or somebody that's a part of the leadership maybe the elders are weird maybe the church is weird you know maybe it's too intrusive maybe it's not intrusive at all maybe it offers no support there's just many reasons that people have expectations of religion that don't get met unfortunately for those leaving their spiritual practice this can sometimes cause a quarrel with their families and, and uh, friends. And, and so that means it's kind of like a divorce from your community when you leave a religious community. Also, if you think about it, psychologists tend to take a more scientific approach in their therapy practices. So they don't bring in personal religious thoughts and values. They sometimes attempt to answer people's problems and concerns without bringing in spirituality. However, this isn't always the case. There's also therapists and counselors like myself, that work in religious settings. However, I don't necessarily always work in a religious setting. I have clients of all backgrounds, including atheists, including everything else as far as religions are concerned. It, it's across the board. So my job as a therapist for mental health is to meet people where they are and use the framework of how they think to try to help them rather than try to impose my religious values onto them. You know, counselors in these work environments tend to take on clients who struggle with addiction, substance abuse, mental health issues. That That's generally what comes away. But help, but marriage, marriage is a big one that, that comes into uh, uh, when you're doing uh, faith-based counseling. They also tend to focus on family uh, and, and the youth and so it, it goes all across the board. But since the earliest humans walked the earth, individuals have wondered where they came from, why they're here, what it all means. Religion, by and large, represents society's attempts to answer those questions. While it isn't always able to achieve that goal, it often succeeds at providing followers with structure, a code of ethics, a sense of purpose, and the promise of an afterlife is the core tenet in the most, as we spoke earlier, of most organized religions. And a, a, another key motivator for followers, as a belief serves as an important psychological function, it also provides community. So religious beliefs reflect our unique cognitive ability to detect agency and intention in others. And, and by, by, by looking at it, even in the natural world, we're able to detect agency, which would be called a motivator, people's motives, people's needs, what pe why people are going after what they are going after. If you think about it, it's really more important to understand what things mean to people than the facts because we have an attachment to a meaning. And when we talk about religion, people sometimes have a lockstep, diehard attachment to their religion and their process of processing God and their, their, their duty to their faith. And so it's really amazing that people can get lost in that process and lose the meaning in their life because the meaning becomes the church rather than God and rather than meeting people where they're at. And that's where things can go wrong. In therapy and in psychology, you have to meet people where they're at. That is imperative. You cannot throw doctrine at people. You cannot throw 
quotes from the Bible and get changed. It doesn't happen that way. You have to actually model it. You have to bring it into therapy and, and make it real for people to understand how their faith can actually help them get out of uh, whatever situations that they're in psychologically. And according to evolutionary psychology, human belief in gods may have arisen when we mastered tools, gained a sense of agency, uh, applied that concept to the world around us, assuming that a higher power must have created it. More and more and more and more and more, we began to own our lives. But in owning our lives, it, back in the primitive days, uh, back at, you know when the Neanderthals or whatever you want to call it, we actually had to feel like something else was looking out for us because we were ultimately alone. Existential angst living in your own existence. Most people have an understanding of the science that powers nature, but many still maintain belief in God, a belief that, among other things, confers the meaning of the world. You know, and you have to wonder, is, is religion good for us? You know, psychologists all over the world have debated the question for decades. Some separate a commitment to organized religion from participating in personal spiritual practice, favoring the latter. But a persuasive body of research finds that religious belief and participation can help people cope with stress and that many reap significant benefits from social support of a religious community. There's also a downside, though, especially if strict beliefs foster shame and guilt in that person because shame and guilt will eat you alive, you know. A growing number of people report in surveys that they consider themselves spiritual but not religious. And so those people may believe in connecting to a higher power but lack the interest in the structures in the organized religion. And so yet religious adherents maintain that such a good outlook, such an outlook ignores the potential uh, benefits uh, derived from discipline, accountability, safety of religious communities, as well as their literature and music. Well, you know, there is something that has to happen when we have a life. We have to take responsibility for our life. We have to take responsibility for our views. And so it's imperative that in religion, responsibility is a big part of what calls for religion. It means discipline. And so that is an important factor that we all have to deal with. When we don't have discipline, we have what's called free will, and free will will get you in trouble every single time because it eats at our integrity when we make choices that are against the flow of life and, and are, are, are against other people and hurt other people. So we have to be very careful in our life to not just think for ourselves, but also think for the other people in this life that we impact. And so mindfulness is a really important part of many religious traditions and also psychology. It, it does not contradict the practices of beliefs uh, that, of most world religions. Even when mindfulness is practiced outside of a religious context, a growing number of people, and this is research, that it can still deliver significant physical and mental health benefits. You know, the, the idea of mindfulness goes along with prayer, which can be an awesome thing in our life if we really do it. If it's not just something we do out of desperation, but it's something we do every day to integrate the idea of mindfulness, the idea of prayer and what that power can give us. Because the real meaning of life, the true meaning of life is actually being here, now, and fully present in this moment with every single person we interact with 
and every single place we interact with, with every single object we interact with, it is all important. If we can stay present, we don't have big problems because we're not looking down the road and hypothesizing and, and catastrophizing. We're not looking back on all our traumas and all the things that have happened to us that we don't like. And so what is really good is when we are fully present, that is when we are in our most spiritual context of meeting life where it is. And that is health. You know, the greatest gift, if you have children or a spouse or a partner or a friend, if you, the greatest gift you can ever give the world is your own mental health, is you being healthy. That's the greatest gift you can ever give yourself even. But it's amazing how so many people live what's called a suicidal life where they have addictions and problems and things and self-defeating, where they hurt themselves. We do not even have studies that indicate how much suicidal lives are out there, but they are. They're huge. It's huge. And it's because people are in pain. They're in all sorts of mental and physical pain, and they just want to escape it. But what they do is instead of committing suicide is they do things in their life to destroy their life. And unfortunately, that is unaccounted for as a statistic, but I can tell you if it were, it's probably gigantic. It's probably over 50% of our population that do things to themselves that they shouldn't do. You know, spiritual beliefs can be beneficial for people's health. It increases their optimism, their resilience, and it decreases their risk of depression, substance abuse, suicide, and risky behaviors. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and grab back on to the faith and religion and how it can benefit our mental health. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? 
The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, psychology and religion. And you know, belief can bring together people who share the same values, and it gives them a sense of belonging and greater social support. And in addition, many religions, organizations support health-based initiatives and community-based initiatives. They also support eating healthy and regular exercise sometimes, uh, stress reduction, and they have a, a real positive impact on people in general. Uh, belief can be, give people comfort during hard times, especially when they experience you know, profound loss. It also provides purpose on the anchor for morality. Um, it also uh, acts as a deterrent to crime. And religious belief can be a real boon to parents as well. It can, it can really inspire children to be more giving. Uh, compared to an agnostic or atheist peers, uh, religious youth are much more likely to be involved in community outreach, such as volunteering, and overwhelmingly more likely to cite forgiveness as a value they endorse. Faith and forgiveness. If you think about it, life is a faith-based venture. Why not learn about faith in something? Because Everything you do in this life is a leap of faith. If you live in fear, you are going against life. You are actually honing down all of your possibilities. When you have faith, all you have is possibilities. And people that live in faith in life, taking leaps of faith, buying that new car, getting that new house, having children, getting married, doing all these things in life, you know, going on a vacation, going hiking, going fishing, going whatever, all these experiences build a person's life. You have an opportunity on this earth to create a life. When we live it in faith, we actually are able to live a life. When we live in fear, we cope with life. And that is a huge difference because coping with life means we're going to funnel down everything hypothetically as to what could possibly happen to limit our choices down to very boring and simple things. You know, it, it's it's really important to understand that in studies of people in the highest risk for depression, because having parents with depression or having had earlier episodes of depression themselves, religiosity was found to significantly limit the conditions of onset or reoccurrence. So the question of how religion delivers such a benefit is still being explored, but fostering the development of resilience may be an important factor. I would also say what is really, really important in depression is to understand depression means that we have enormous amounts of expectations. Expectations come with a failure narrative, which means that it, we are a failure or other people are a failure. There's a huge emotional attachment, very closely related to betrayal and disrespect when people do not meet our expectations or we do not meet our own expectations. That is depressing. And that is the ingredient that makes people depressed. People with a sense of spirituality looking for forgiveness, here's what they do in a sense of spirituality. I'd prefer that you did this. I'd prefer that you did that. I prefer I did this. I prefer I did that. That means that we're not attaching a negative emotional connotation 
to an expectation. We're operating in a preference, understanding that the world is very subjective and we are influenced by how other people operate. And when we get to that understanding, we have a tendency to operate very smoothly in life. But if you want to live in depression, be a perfectionist, have expectations, and walk around with your sad face and maybe your antidepressant. You know, the next thing is to, to really understand life in general is about forgiveness. And people forget this. They ask why questions. Why? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Well, why is a very nasty question because it's, it's moral-based. It means that you're probably a badly intended person. When you're asking a why question, you're going to get a lie, especially from children. If you ask people a what and a how, that means we're attacking the process that led to the negative decision. So that's a good thing. That means we're looking for forgiveness. What was your intention? How did you decide to do this? That is the life of forgiveness. Unfortunately, most people don't get that. They have to ask why. Why? That means you're a bad person and I already know why. You know, it's terrible that people do that to each other. Why and try. Those are some of the two of the worst words in the English language. Why and try. They need to go. They need to be deleted and gone. You know, uh, the social and spiritual aspects of religious participation may deliver real physical and psychological benefits. But also, what happens in religion is it gives us a commitment to life, a covenant to life, and that means we will live a life. We will have a purpose. We will have meaning in our life. That's what religion offers us, a chance to have our will, which is our soul, our essence. We're souls living a human life. We have to have that essence to operate and be resilient. And so what commitment does, the will, if I will be married, it's a whole lot different than if I try to be married. If I try to be married, there's always a back door and we have to plan on possibly having a divorce. If I will be married, that means we're going to solve it. Whatever the problem is, we're going to solve it. And people that live in the will have a life. People that live in the will are free to be themselves because they fully vest in their decisions. And that's called character. People that make decisions actually have character. And now we know how to love them because of their decisions. You know, it's also understanding that regular attendance and church services has also been correlated with better physical and mental health, including better sleep, lower blood pressure, lower morality rate, mortality, sorry, not morality, mortality. And and uh, and those who attend services also are less likely to, to uh, have deaths from despair or suicide or alcohol poisoning. And so it's really important to understand that, that religious belief, whether you poo-poo it or not, has a lot of psychologically good things that happen to us. Powerful religious or spiritual experiences are often described as transcendental, trans, trans, transcendental. Sorry, my brain is not operating. <laughs> when people describe times they felt connection to higher power or their scan showed less activity in the inferior uh, 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 prefrontal cortex, indicating the type of temporary loss of the self in those moments, images showed that the intensive repetitive prayer activities in the brain's reward system operate. So prayer operates in the reward system. And it's in the same reward system that sex, drugs, and chocolate can operate. So talk about faith, 
talk about sex, drugs, and chocolate all in the same department. It's pretty amazing. Prayer <laughs> can operate in that way, in that part of the world of our brain. You know, some therapists keep religion out of their out of their sessions with patients, and you know, quite frankly, I do. I do for many patients who do not want that kind of treatment. And so the field argues that they shouldn't because religious beliefs are core elements of many people's identity and may help shed light on the sources of their struggles. But those people do not live in the city that I live in, which is called Seattle. And using elements of a client's belief system or practice and therapy, it also enhances their understanding and acceptance of the clinical advice. So you go at people in different ways in therapy. It works any way that you operate. And you can also talk about faith, but you don't have to talk about faith in God. And so, you know, surveys find that far fewer people seek out a spiritual leader for advice or guidance today than in the past. And that's true. Um, you know, the absence of that kind of connection, they'd be more likely to turn to a therapist or someone that is a best friend or a mentor or a professor or somebody that they look up to, maybe even a parent, maybe a grandparent. So people go to different sources and maybe even their spouse. So 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 it's a good thing when people do that. You know, psychology is often suggested to be hostile to or, or incompatible with religious belief because the field defines a belief in God as delusional. Well, that's not the case. You know, the, the clinical definition of delusional belief is others with the same social or cultural background cannot understand it. And, and that's not all true, but religious beliefs, which are shared by a large segment of the culture, including many therapists, are vital and can be helpful to people. Everything. You know, I've often said this. Everybody has something to offer everyone else. Everybody, if you can look at each person in this life as more good than they are bad, as more, more, more uh, right than they are wrong, if we can look at people in that light, we can actually find the essence of every single person in this life and, and demonstrate value and connection with those people. It's important for us to understand that. But we live in a tribal world now, and that's not the way things are. Everybody's against everybody else. You know, eight, nearly 80% of Americans say they practice some kind of religion, but approximately 20%, mostly younger, say they don't, according to uh, – this was done back in 2012. Now, I would also suggest – and that was a study – by the Pew Research Center. But the, but I would suggest to you that nowadays there are quite a larger amount of Americans who don't believe in faith or religion or agnostic. Maybe, you know, maybe they're atheist. The, but the bottom line is there's a lot people, more people gravitating in that direction. And I think COVID played a big factor in that because obviously people didn't go to church. People often do turn to their faith as a source of solace and support in most of their stressful moments. But the church wasn't there during COVID. It was online, but it was way out of touch. And the human factor wasn't there. And so uh, the churches these days are shutting down like crazy because people aren't going back. And in fact, some groups such as the elderly and minority groups may be more likely to look at their faith to help them, their families and their friends and their healthcare system. They lost out on that during COVID. So there's a lot of studies of many groups dealing with major life stressors such as illness, natural disaster, virus, 
uh, loss of loved ones, divorce, serious mental illness show that religion and spirituality are generally helpful to people in coping, especially people with the fewest resources facing the most uncontrollable problems. However, there are many forms of religious coping, and some are more helpful than others. People can draw on many religious and spiritual resources that have been tied to better adjustment in, in times of crisis. But these positive religious coping methods include spiritual support. That's a good one. Uh, in, in support from God or a higher power, rituals to facilitate life transitions, uh, spiritual forgiveness, supporting uh, from a religious institution uh, that, that may come monetarily, or maybe it comes through food or reframing a, stre a stressful situation into a larger, more benevolent system of meaning where you aren't the only one in this problem. You know, there's a beautiful organization in, in the Christian faith that's called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery takes any kind of addict, and they don't label them an addict, but anybody that has some form of addiction of chronic problem in their life can come to Celebrate Recovery and actually process that with, that, that with other people who also have problems that may not be the same addiction that you have, but also offer that framework of community where you can actually help each other take accountability for your problems. You know, some uh, many years, psychologists steer clear of religion, and that's been the fact for a while. But over the last 20 years, uh, Christianity especially has come into embracing counseling. And that has been a great factor and a great pair up with people who are in religious institutions who live within a religious context, relig uh, live within an uh, agnostic context even. It is really helping people in that life and grabbing on to the greater good of faith and helping them understand how faith also is an ingredient of life and faith is something that can help them get through life. If you want to learn how to trust somebody, start by having faith in them. Don't start by trusting them, have faith in them and once you have faith in them, act like that and act like you trust them until you get to trust. If they do something that shows that they cannot hold your faith, then don't get to trust. But that is the thing that we all have to understand. All relationships are based on trust. What Christianity offers, if you can't trust people, you can trust God. And that is the essence of comfort. When we have trust, we have very little conflict in life. Because we trust. The, the idea of, of having faith in God is only requiring us to go, do what we want to do our leap of faith, and then let God help us. That's the essence of it. But if you want to put it into the context of relationships and maybe even marriage, the idea is if what when I'm with my spouse, I am learning how to love God. Because I'm having to integrate that partner into my life. And so from that fact, if I'm integrating a partner into my life, I'm also doing the same thing with God, integrating God into my life. That is the model on earth to teach you how to love God. And this is coming from a Christian perspective. And when you look at your kids and how you love them, that's how you envision God loving you. How you love your children is how you believe that God loves you. And so the whole family system is a 24 by 7 model of your faith. 
And if you operate from that perspective, we actually have some sense of accountability for ourselves. And that's a very important factor in the growth of a human being, in the development of a human being, and in religion, accountability is always a factor. And so it's really important to be accountable to ourselves and to others, to ourselves and to others, and to embrace the idea that we're human. That is what faith does. That's what religion does. It embraces us in our human condition and gives us a way to work through our human condition. You know, if you can help people connect to their higher selves, what happens is they find peace in their life. And, and you know, peace is such an important thing because what it means is I'm going to accept where I'm at, I'm going to accept what's happening, and then I'm going to work from there. And when people can operate that way, they operate peacefully. You know, some research has showed a mantra-based meditation to spiritual is more effective in reducing physical pain than meditation in a secular. And that's probably true. Mindfulness that's focused on alleviating pain is probably much better than just spiritual prayer. I'm sure it is because it helps us understand how to operate our body, how to be more aware of our body, how to be more aware what parts of our body need help. When you're mindful, you're actually safer for yourself. And that is an important thing. And that's another thing that psychology wants to bring in, is that we're more in tune with our thinking and with our feelings. But what's the big deal that most people ignore is the value of feelings. Feelings are what motivate us. Feelings is how we do difficult things. We have to have a feeling, a motive, a meaning. That makes us get hard things done in life. And the more hard you do in life, the more easier your life becomes because people can seek you for your wisdom. But most people will operate out of mediocrity. And that's just enough for them. And that's very sad. Religion asks for us to go a little bit farther and do a little bit more understanding of who we are. And that in, in itself goes very, very well in line with psychology. All right, let's take a quick break and come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, a view through the veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right. We're just talking about religion and psychology. And, you know, religion and spirituality really elicit deep feelings in people because they speak to people's deepest values. And people who practice psychology have to be really careful when you're approaching the processes with knowledge, sensitivity, and care. Unfortunately, most uh, people that learn to be a psychologist or a therapist receive no training in religion and spirituality during their graduate or postgraduate education. And this state of affairs has, has to change. You know, competent care rests on the basic knowledge about religions and spiritual diversity and understanding how religion and spirituality are intertwined into adaptive and maladaptive human behavior and and, and the skills in assessing and addressing religious and spiritual issues that arise in that treatment is imperative. And it's important to understand that most people have some set of beliefs and we in this field have to really come to grips with the idea that we cannot neglect all of those people that have spiritual beliefs. We really need to come at, be able to mirror where they're at. And that means we need to understand their religions. We need to understand their faith. We need to understand their culture. We need to understand their purpose, their meanings, what's important to them. But we also need to come to grips with the idea of what degree of religiosity do they have or do they have any degree of it? You know, competent care also grows out of self-awareness. Whether or not a, a, a therapist or psychologist or person religious and spiritual, they share a religious and spiritual orientation with the client, and we owe it ethically to them. And practitioners have to be aware how their orientation might knowingly or unknowingly impact a client. They must also take steps to protect the client's decision-making freedom and their autonomy. Open discussion with clients about the values that underlie treatment may be one of the most important, and I repeat, most important ways to ensure ethical practice. It's also very helpful to consult with experts who represent different religions and spiritual traditions and different professional uh, traditions. This can provide really important perspectives and, God forbid, wisdom in dealing with the values and ethics issues that can arise when addressing religion and spiritual practice. You know, uh, 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 if you fact, if you you know, science is given a number of paths to pursue matters of faith. If science and religion were two windows to understanding the universe, you know, our our life would be very dark. We need a blend. It's important to have a blend to have some experiential learning in our life. You know, it, it's important to realize that there's no sharp dichotomy between the natural and the supernatural worlds. It's true that many people become religious and may even become genuine Christians or, or Hindu or, or whatever because the weight of the world is pushing that on them and they realize they cannot control things on their own. You know, God may be their only hope. 
And it is the truth, and even in the feelings that go along with it, that God may use to bring them to himself. The truth is that when you live in a survival mode like a third world country where they're not going to be able to have the capacity to invent how to go to the moon, how to go to outer space because they're not safe. And when people are not safe, that means that they have very little that looks after them. So third world countries are ripe for people to do uh, you know, missionary work simply because those people have nothing to give them comfort. God will give them comfort, though. And so that is an important thing to understand, that that's been around since the beginning of time, that there's been some force of belief systems that all societies have had to operate through. Not everyone in society operated with, but through that, parts of society have gained comfort and been able to live life in a safer modality, in a modality looking out for others, giving rather than reacting, being responsive rather than reactive. Life is best lived when we're responsive and not feeling like we're vulnerable to others. In this day and age, we live in a government and a world where we are reactive, and that's where stupidity comes in. That's when people do dumb things. Every emotional decision you ever make in your life, you will redebate it over and over and over again simply because of the emotional deba- basis of the decision. We need to make decisions in this life based on logic, and logic also comes with feelings and meanings. But logic also is a very important factor in understanding that when we made a choice, we made a choice, now we got to deal with it. That's how we live our life. It's important to realize that that, uh, Christianity has many uh, psychological benefits. And these are, and not not only Christianity, all of the 12 major classical faiths. And and these are some of the things that that initially attract people. We, We would expect something that's true to have a positive psychological benefits. Also, religious convictions are not the only convictions that have psychological components. It's quite possible that many uh, psychologists of religion arrive at their conclusions because they're they are members of an academic community that exerts great psychological pressure to conform to maybe scientific naturalism. You know, Christianity does not stand or fall based on psychological benefits that provides to Christians. Christianity is based on historical life, crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's one faith. That's one faith in the end, and that's my faith. And so that's easier for me to communicate than to communicate to all faiths. But, but uh, you know, we all have some types of values that we all share. We all want some sense of acceptance in our life, some sense of curiosity. We want to have good eating, family. We want to have honor. We want to have integrity. We want to have idealism, which gives us creativity and independence and, and, and a way of becoming our own person. We also need order. We also need physical activity and we need power. Unfortunately, we need romance. We need to save because we rely on money. We, we also depend deeply on social contact. Even the introverts depend on social contact. And then there's status, especially at a younger age. Then there's tranquility and vengeance. These are all ingredients of the human being. That's not the only ingredients, but these are major ingredients. And, and, and so 
how much a person values each of those desires corresponds closely to what they are like and 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 what they are like or dislike about religion so those values are going to tell you how, to what degree a person is going to get closer to God or away from God and so we all need to understand that we struggle with that all of us struggle with that you know religion attracts all kinds of people including peacemakers and those who want a vengeful God which is the Old Testament you know the New Testament's the answer to the Old Testament you know some some religious rituals fulfill the desire for order you know religious teaching about salvation and forgiveness tap into the basic human need for acceptance that's peace Peace is acceptance. When we accept, we have a baseline to work from. You know, while all people need to feel the same basic desires, not everyone will turn to religion to satisfy them. You know, there's also parts of society that need alternatives to fulfill to the basic desires. That's understood. Religion competes with secular society basically to meet needs, those values that we just talked about earlier. And uh, some people need to be ruggedly independent. As a matter of fact, that is the foundation of the United States, is rugged independence. Um, other societies, it's a dependence on moral values uh, having to do with social structure and, and society and people, and depending on their age. And, and, and there's all kinds of cultures that basically are very closed. They're closed to their own people, and they have their own culture within that. But in America, we're ruggedly independent, meaning we are to take accountability for our own life despite the family we come from that all of us have the opportunity to make a life. That used to be the case. Nowadays, it's all corporate life. And sadly, our small businesses are dying on the vine. You know, people engage in religious practic uh, practices for really good reasons. It's because someone is sick or, or make sure someone doesn't fall sick. You know, the, 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 the crops are good and abundant. And those kind of endeavors historically took form in paying uh, 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 basically some kind of obscience to uh, uh, some kind of a, a superhuman being or a supernatural concept. And, and there's a whole lot of possible conceptual combinations that are supernatural, great interest to human beings, but only some of them make it. And, and so if we look about, think about that, you know, there's a lot of mythologies that are not commonly recognized around the world, but were the basis for religion prior to religion. And uh, there were there were belief in fairies and ghosts, you know, leprechauns, and and they're, then they're, these are all widespread and well known and tied into our fairy tales that we've all grown up with in our lives. You know, non-believers may benefit in, in, uh, society in terms of their autonomy, their creativity, their capacity to, to contest social order, social norms, uh, the capacity for plasticity, meaning they're more flexible. And also the, the disadvantages of being an atheist might include being too much materialism in society, too much into individualism, free will, and a kind of corruption of our spirit. And that takes place within people. We tend to, if you're going to surround yourself with a bunch of drug users, it's it's highly likely you're going to dabble in drugs. You know, if you surround yourself with people who are alcoholics, you're likely going to be an alcoholic. So the bottom line is we need to surround ourselves with people that are smarter than us. And we need to go to the room where people are better than us emotionally, more emotionally equipped. All of us need to have those examples because we all tend to rub off on each other. 
and we all tend to want to pick up off of each other. It's really amazing how much we adapt to each other. And if you surround yourself with people that are unhealthy, you yourself are going to find yourself to be not peaceful and unhealthy. When you surround yourself with people that are healthy, you're going to become more healthy. And that, my friends, is what religion can offer us depending on where you go. But religion and science over the source of knowledge about the universe as well as everyday life is very important. And for those who are rooted in religious thinking, the answers to the deepest questions about life and the universe is in studying the Bible. You know, on the other hand, who people are rooted in science, the scientific method, empirical research, answers to all these questions that are be found in the search for facts to be gleaned from observations and from laboratory experiments. And that, my friend, is called the scientific process. What's beautiful about the scientific process, it is about failure over and over and over and over and over and over. Repeated failure. That is good. But if you have no model for understanding what failure is to do in life, we tend to always feel like a failure and never grow beyond the failure and learn from it. That is the beauty of failure, and that is the beauty of forgiveness, is understanding that failure offers us a new opportunity to learn based on what we learn from the failure. So it gives us a baseline, a place to work from, an understanding. And, and so when people go down that path, they have a much better life. They have a much better life because they're not riddled with fear of failure. Unfortunately, lots of people live in failure. Embrace it. It teaches you. It's okay to fail. It's okay to get back up. You know, if you look at every major person in the world that you've ever looked up to, they were resilient. They were resilient. And they were resilient simply because they kept their self on track despite the problems that came in their way. And we all need to understand that that is the, what we do, we have to do in this life. And that, my friends, is a spiritual journey. That means we have to have the will to power, the will to live. If you, Nietzsche is the will to power, and he was an atheist. But the bottom line is we, we all have to drive forward through our problems and go on into the next chapter and accept the things that we don't find acceptable. If we're able to do that, we are so resilient and we operate so buoyantly through this life. That is where people get the most out of this life. You know, the, the faith side of the issue in, 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 in the idea of psychology is that, you know, it's a sacred right because it's, it's part of a covenant. And a covenant has a responsibility that is not written down. A covenant is in our belief our commitments that we make to each other. And when we do that in life, that is important. Our words should be as good as a contract. And that, my friend, is integrity. And integrity is what makes you attractive when you're old. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. I love hearing from you. And you can do that via our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. And we now have a web page, and uh, and you can uh, th that's actually a Facebook page, and you can contribute to our show via our Voice America web page in the link section. Now remember, Moses was the first person to download data to a tablet from the cloud. Also, the problem's not God; it's the fan club, and and you can have the Ten Commandments in the White House or or in Congress. But if you did, it would create a lot of hostile work environments. Also, in heaven, all the interesting people are missing. 
And that's Frederick Nietzsche. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 